Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro, with my fabulous guests today, Dr. Sharna Prasad, Dr. Physical Therapy, and Dr. Lance McQuillan, who is a family medicine specialist. So we have the, the, uh, the group mind here today. And what I would like to start off, because uh, Lance, this is kind of your first time being on, on the show with us, um, is how has incorporating pain science into your practice sort of changed the way that you see patients on a day-to-day basis? And, you know, how has that changed your pain patients? How has that seen changed just your other patients? Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to <laughs> love to share my experience. Um, and uh, should I just start talking or do? Just start uh, talking, man. Just start talking. It's, <laughs> right. it's a, this is a safe place. Yeah, it's so, a safe place uh, to talk here. First, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little bit about me. I'm a family practice doc. Been practicing about 15 years. Uh, I uh, have provided primary care my entire career. I'm a primary care geek. I went into primary care um, to try to save the world, um, and I still feel passion towards, uh, uh, you know, trying to help improve the health and well-being of our communities. I also am a residency educator, which means that I uh, teach resident physicians and and medical students. Um, And uh, so pain science was revolutionary. You know, I, I, I hate to blow by that fact, but meeting you, Kevin, quite frankly, was completely revolutionary in my career eight or 10 years ago when uh, uh, we were neck deep in the opioid crisis. And and then I paused to wonder what pain actually was because you started teaching my residents about what pain actually was. And and, and it's just completely changed my career. And, And my understanding of pain science has unfolded over the last decade and it continues to unfold. And I anticipate it will continue to unfold as my career goes on. It's helped me be a better physician. It's helped me understand pain. It's helped me understand trauma, adverse childhood events, depression, anxiety, uh, other chronic diseases. It's really just helped my entire practice. When I first was interested in pain science, like a lot of clinicians, um, it was in part of the discomfort about what we were doing. You know, so we would see these patients with chronic pain, and and we would all worry about, oh my gosh, what opioids are they going to want from from me today? And I think we all felt that tension about, you know what opioids are chronic pain management. And, and so quite frankly, I, I became interested uh, out of discomfort with uh, current practice habits and current practice understanding. And, and then I, I got into the pain science world with that framework, trying to understand how uh, pain happened in people who have been experienced pain for a really, really long time. Over the years, as I got better and better at trying to understand those patients, it just increasingly dawned on me that chronic pain all starts somewhere. It starts with acute pain. And um, so I started looking at my patients who would present with acute pain and and wonder, oh my goodness, is this person going to develop chronic pain? Is this back pain that is episodic right now 
going to become a severe debilitating condition or is this ankle pain from a sprained ankle that still bothers them two months later is this going to become a chronic debilitating condition etc uh, etc et <clears throat> and so i started pausing to try to understand those patients the acute back pain uh, I'd try to understand what their risk factors were for developing chronic pain. So I'd ask them questions about trauma, adverse childhood events, depression, anxiety. And, uh, and I had a growing awareness that, uh, you know, there, there were some, some risks there. And, and so I just started using some of the same educational tools that I had been working on with my chronic pain patients with my acute pain patients, I'd say, you know, oh, hey, you know, I know this is, you know, this back pain has only been a few weeks, but do you, do you know why you hurt? Do you know what pain is? And, and I just started uh, exploring uh, brief interventions with uh, patients with acute pain. And I discovered that those conversations were way easier <laughs> than patients who have had pain for decades because they were so much less threatening. And you explain back pain to someone who's had back pain for three weeks. And I've almost never had a patient get angry with me. They all say, oh yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I get it. <clears throat> you know, and then they ask constructive questions like, well, you know, what sort of things can I do to help reduce the protective <laughs> reflex of my brain? And and so then we can have constructive conversations. And unfortunately, I don't have data uh, about outcomes from pain education and acute pain scenarios. Um, but I, I definitely have, you know, uh, been accumulating anecdotes of patients who do pretty well um, after uh, conditions that, you know, uh, maybe in the past would set them up for uh, failure. <clears throat> so. The, that's sort of how I stumbled across that. And, and, and I've sort of, I've sort of stumbled my way through my career and like discover things by accident. And I just discovered by accident that, oh my goodness, we should be talking about what pain is to patients with acute pain, particularly if they're at risk for developing chronic pain. Um, so, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's important for two, two, well, numerous reasons, but one of the things you talked about was data, and we always want to be thinking data-driven, right? But this becomes very difficult. That's a very large-scale study. And the other part, of this is a prevention modality, and prevention is really hard to study. On the flip side of that, if we're just thinking as a clinician, how difficult has it been? I mean, it sounds like it has almost changed the dynamic of those encounters where it... it, it may have just improved that clinical relationship early on. So even without the absence of long-term data, just, just that interlude seems like it would have changed. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, uh, you're just planting little seeds, you know, and, and the kind of baseline model is, goes like this. You know, Mr. Jones, you have back pain. It's only been going on for three weeks. Your prognosis is really good because I don't see anything dangerous going on in your back. And then a month later, Mr. Jones comes in and says, gosh, my back still hurts. And again, the baseline previous pain science, the clinician says, gosh, there's still nothing wrong. I don't know what's going on, dot, dot, dot. You know, <laughs> and, you know so then we run the risk of 
contributing to their pain because of the fear and uncertainty there. And, and with this model where you say, oh, hey, Mr. Jones, you know, your body is safe. Uh, let me just take a minute to educate you about what pain is. Uh, and, you know, then you'd say pain is protection. You go through uh, patient-oriented uh, education at their level. You know, and then if they come back a month later, then you can say, all right, let's let's dust off that education. So what does that mean? And of, of course, you examine them and you touch them and, and, and you do your due diligence. But then you're, you know, not contributing to pain and, and you're actually doing things that um, uh, may actually help them. And, and there is some data that education and, and mindset uh, about what pain is does improve outcomes. I know that Dr. Mosley tries to downplay that data, but <laughs> it's there. Um, and then, you know, you're right. Professionally, what's my responsibility? I think my responsibility is to educate my patients and, well, to be there for my patients, to uh, make sure that they're safe, and then to educate them. That's fundamental to being a physician. That's what draws a lot of us into primary care is because we want to form relationships and educate and help people find more health and well-being. A lot of health and well-being isn't data oriented. So we don't have, we don't need that massive large scale study that shows that two minute brief intervention uh, improves long-term outcomes to feel a responsibility to educate our patients about what's actually going on. Yeah. And one, one other part with that, when you, you sort of planted seeds early on, I'm kind of wondering about your follow-up questions because, you know, Sharna has one of my favorite of all times, which is when she has her evaluation and she's like, what are you afraid of? And uh, Dr. Brent Godek, who I hope to hit on the show, he's another primary care doc. What he's is, you know, what about this are you afraid of? And then the other one that I like quite a bit is, you know, if you've already helped someone feel safe is then, well, what else in your life is going on right now? <laughs> so I, have you ever, I mean, what are you doing you know, Mr. Jones comes back. It's a it's a month later. You're going to start some in, in um, education, but beyond education, how are you tying this stuff together? Yeah, I think those are uh, big hitter questions, and I, I haven't reinvented the wheel there. I, I love the question, "What about this worries you?" Uh, and that question has led to uh, excellent conversations. I had one patient with a history of addiction with acute back pain come in and after an ER visit and an appropriate evaluation that was reassuring. And so I did my due diligence, examined him, his exam had no red flag findings. And so I asked, what about this worries you? And, and he said, uh, well, you know, I, I've just lost a hundred pounds in the last year through all these positive health efforts. And I, I just thought that I would be more healthy after this massive weight loss transition. And I'm worried that this back pain means that I'm not actually more healthy. Mm. And that was just like, oh, great. Okay, now I know exactly where to go with my conversation, as opposed to me flailing my hands around. So I love that question. What about the situation worries you? Um, the um, one thing that I find myself asking about, and I don't have a great question for this, is, um, is about root causes in, in, from the patient's past. Um, you know, uh, 
have there been situations where you haven't felt safe? <laughs> um, I have a, a patient who I'm working with right now who uh, is experiencing some whole body pain. It's been going on for a few months, but this person hasn't experienced substantial pain in the past that's led to uh, medicalization. The person generally tries to avoid medical care, which is good. Um, it, but they are experiencing a whole lot of body pain. And so I've, you know, done all my tricks. What about this worries you? You know, what what do you think this pain is trying to protect you from? I did my basic education about what pain is and the patient, you know, is going along like, yeah, okay, I get it. I, I, I buy that. That totally makes sense. But there's still a bit of a disconnect. And, and, and I, in some ways, that's okay. We don't have to like fully flush out every situation. But, you know, when I asked about her, uh, hey, how was your childhood? Oh, it was great. Parents were great. You know, lots of love in the house. Like, oh, no, no abuse or, or trauma or instability. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, good parents. And, and, and then you just dig a little bit more like, oh, you, were there situations in your childhood that made you feel unsafe? And it turns out that this person grew up during a civil war. Their teenage years happened in a country where there was civil war and they lost friends and family members and they slept in their clothes for several years of their life uh, getting ready to escape. So I, I guess I don't have a specific question, but just the curiosity to dig deeper, like, you know, where where is there a lack of safety in your background? And, um, and there's almost always something there and I, I you don't need i don't need to always understand it but i think um i do want to help my patients draw connections so then that was like an epiphany like oh my goodness well let's let's remove yourself from your current experience just picture this little girl going through a civil war what's going to happen with her uh, you know, development and what sorts of protective mechanisms is she going to develop to protect herself? And, and so uh, she, you know, at the end of that was, you know, like, I absolutely makes sense. I've never really thought about this. I've never made the connection. My parents were always there and supported me, but uh, I've, I never realized that that could have such a big impact on me. And so, you know, I think that that may pay off in dividends for future experiences that she has. Well, and and um, I want Sharna, Sharna to chime in on this a little bit. But what is absolutely amazing from from my perspective is, you know, as a physician, you're busy. As a primary care doctor, you are extraordinarily busy. And so, if you have sort of even just like a super full official awareness of like trauma and pain, you may say, "Well, how was your child?" And they say, oh, "It was fine." And then you stop. But but that question, well, okay, something isn't sort of adding up here. Where's the danger coming from? You know, and just uh, the broad, you kind of open up almost, I don't want to say like a te detective, but you're sort of making the story richer where you're, where you've revealed this context. And I'm like saying, when you said that, I'm like, she grew up in the middle of this where I got like goosebumps, like, holy crap, what, what would that do to me? You know, I you have a loving family and then you're in the middle of something like that. Um, and, and it just, you know, it just brings awareness. So a lot of people will come in and say, well, there's nothing. My childhood was perfect or yep. everything was fine. And it's just, just being willing to, to not go and accept just the superficial and just kind of probe around a little bit yep. in a safe manner makes a big difference. But Sharna, you've been really quiet and, uh, uh, I would love to, this is 
know, it's different for you because I know how much you like to talk. So what are, what are your perspectives as a PT and particularly a PT who's got experience now being embedded in a, in a primary care environment and how that role has been when you're seeing this kind of acute chronic pain science and body practice kind of model? Well, <clears throat> thank you, Kevin. Uh, and Lance, you know, it has been so lovely to be in this environment of um, physicians all uh, talking pain science and we're all in this together. I, you know, I've used that analogy of hand washing. It's like as a PT, um, thanks to Dr. Kukaro, who finally got uh, pain science, if I'm hand washing and, you know, working with my patients and then I send them back to a physician who is not Lance, but who is someone who is um, talking this nocebic language that, oh my gosh, you have bone and bone. I've never seen a worse knee than this. Your x-rays look horrible. You're going to be in a wheelchair, um, you know, and, and physicians might not realize that, but their words, because they are in a hierarchical manner, they're at such a high position that if they say something, the physicians just take it to heart and they run with it, you know? So I, I do feel that uh, uh, it's really nice to have that. And I, we use this terminology all the time. If I'm hand-washing, I want my physicians to be hand-washing and talking that same language. Um, so in, in the acute care um, scenario, what um, I think I have used this example before, but we are in the primary care practices, uh, PTs are in the primary care practices, and I had a, a patient come in, um, you know, um, Mary Doe, and she was complaining of, of shoulder pain, very severe, and oh, just overnight uh, had severe pain in her shoulder, and just to work out and just very fit person and she said um i don't know what's going on i am in so much pain and i don't so full range of motion full very good strength um and then um i said so tell me what what are you afraid of, of? she's like well i i don't know what i've hurt my shoulder in my sleep i slept differently and i'm gonna have to spend a lot of time doing physical therapy and whatnot and um I said to her, what do you do for a living? And she, in, in this uh, pandemic, she said, I'm a, you know, a principal of an elementary school. I said, oh, wow, do you have some stressors going on to say the least? And, and, and then I tried, I explained the fire triangle and I explained to her the thoughts and emotions and sensation. I said, your shoulder is so strong. There is nothing to worry about it. You cannot sleep in a different position and have pain. You're not going to hurt your shoulder with the strength you have. What's going on is stress has taken over your life. And then, you know, you can't see people from their mats, but you can see their eyes and they go, that relief was so big. And, the, you know, the physician I was talking to was like, oh, I'm going to get an x-ray done. And I said, I wouldn't do that. I would wait for another week or two just to see if she's, I know how she recovers, and if she comes back, then do an x-ray, because I think x-ray is more alarming. It actually increases the anxiety. It's like, oh, my gosh, now what? What's the next thing? So we just left it at that. So, you know, acute care, absolutely. That is where we're, it's kind of nipping it at the butt. You know, it's like, let's take do this right right now. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation, oh, acute pain is different than chronic pain. Well, the mechanisms may be different, but the overall, the thoughts and emotions are still the same, you know? Uh, so yeah, I'm big on acute care and taking care of it right away rather than making it this big chronic pain issue that we're dealing with. 
Well, and, and, and I could see in a, in a primary care environment with people, well, what's, well, I should say, we know the data, but I've, I, I, I've seen this happen when the people like, well, I'll just get an x-ray anyway, because it, it always makes the patient feel better. I'm like, dude, okay, first of all, <laughs> as an anecdote, second of all, we have data that says exactly the opposite. Third of all, you have to be able to, to frame that examination in such a way that you're not going to cause harm because the danger obviously is as we get older and we have our wrinkles on the outside, we have the wrinkles on the inside. And then people say, well, you got some bone spurs. That's probably what the cause is, but you're going to be okay. Well, what have we done now <laughs> by, by for the future with, with saying that? So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Sharna, for, for keeping an x-ray away from where it didn't need well, to be done. Yeah, it, it, it's the physician's belief also, right? So we, we have to gently question that and say, um, what do you think you're going to find out through the x-ray? And they go, well, there's arthritis. I said, well, we know that. They're, that you know, they probably have arthritis. You can feel the crepitus right there. So the x-ray is not going to give us any more than what's, you know, anything more. Or it's, So, you know, it's just that having that conversation and helping them because, they don't like to be told that, um, you know, physicians don't like to be told that you shouldn't do that. So you have to be a little bit tactful somehow. That I like that. I like that. But my coworkers are way better than that uh, with me, with the tact with the physicians. So they, they do a better job with that. I, I just end up giving them the some handouts on radiology and saying, hey, look at this. Uh, and but it, it's getting really good. A lot of our physicians are changing, and we have reduced our number of uh, um, um, radiology um, reports. I mean, access to radiology a lot. Um, so, and they're changing our re the reimbursement of, of the physicians in in that particular clinic through Medicare. So that's a that's a big thing. That uh, I don't have all the details of that one, but I think they are working on that. Incentives. Is that true, Lance? That uh, the doctors don't like to be told they shouldn't do something. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we spend eight hours a day, every you know, years and years, being the the uh, expert in the room, and we eventually believe that we're the expert in everything. Um, shockingly, you know, practice <laughs> makes perfect. And the another thing that I guess, Sharna, just to add on to what she said about um, doctors getting x-rays. And I think, you know, we often rationalize, well, the patient, you know, wants this, or maybe it'll get, give reassurance. And as you appropriately pointed out, there's data that says that's not true. But the other thing is it points out just the delta in the mental model. And so the fundamentally the work that you're doing, trying to educate clinicians about what pain actually is to shift the mental model uh, you know I, I think that remains uh, extraordinarily important because if the physician is driven by fear to do that x-ray because they don't have a clear mental model that this kindergarten principal of course you know her arthritis is going to be aching <laughs> during a pandemic um, you know, if, if the physician doesn't have the mental model to understand why that pain may be there, then, you know, then we're going to be uh, doing things because we don't have a, a clear picture. 
of uh, what what's going on with the patient. That's a great point, and I don't think it's limited to to physicians for sure. And I think we can call that's clinical related fear. Because and Shannon, I'd like you to chop time in here. Is I think a lot of the stuff that we do in the the you know, kind of the hesitance language that we do in the over imaging, the 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 really kind of restrictive language that we'll say, I'm, I'm going to assuming in PT, if you have somebody that you don't know what's going on, you may be super restrictive. Well, you can't do this and you can't play golf and you can't bend and you can't do all this stuff. And I think a lot of times that's because of, of our fear of something bad, because as clinicians, we don't understand how you can hurt without a structural, quote unquote, cause or damage being done. Um what are you guys' thoughts on that? Sharna, what do you think with your colleagues? Is that something that you, you think you're seeing or not seeing? Or uh, oh, we, We're seeing a lot of that because, the you know, uh, you used to say, Kevin used to say that the attitudes and beliefs of the clinician affect the patient's treatment. I'm like, what nonsense does he talk? But it's, it's after eight years, seven years of listening to you, it's finally like, oh, my gosh, that is such a big key to our pain management. It's not what's happening with the patient as much as what's happening with the provider because the provider believes um, in the tissue damage is pain. So you see that, you know, especially our orthopedic patient, our therapists, they are very tissue driven. So, and, and they'll be doing the massage. They will be working on that special, uh, you know, knee or whatever that calf, calf muscle, muscle is. They're working on that, scraping that space and, and talking to them in that tissue driven driven model. So there's, there's a lot of work that needs to happen. And it's really hard for me to be in that room and, and observe that and, and not question them. But if, if they're not ready to be questioned, then uh, it's hard for me to go there. I, I try, but I, in the past, I've been a little too aggressive. So I, I think I have to learn the diplomacy like um, Lance has and, you know, some of the other physicians have is to, to um, talk this in a more professional way and not get all emotional about it. So I'm, I'm working on that. A less threatening way, a less threatening way. I'm certainly not good at that. I I, I feel like I generate, generate a lot of threat, (laughs) but uh, Lance, you are excellent at not generating threat. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'll work on that. Uh, Work on making threading. Yeah, I, no, no, you don't. You yeah, need to be what you are because we need more clinicians like you who are non-threatening and you know less of me who who gets like wow, you know. So yeah, bye. that's that's really kind of you. The one other thing that I would point out, what you what you just said, Sharna, is uh, that that the physicians' beliefs and mindset can also lead to cynicism and burnout and you know, the, the whole eye rolling and, um, yeah, over my career, I've encountered a lot of clinicians who don't believe that fibromyalgia is a thing or a patient with pain out of proportion, you know, so, uh, I'll use the ankle, the sprained ankle example. You know, you, you get a patient with a sprained ankle from three years ago and, uh, reassuring exam and sort of the, default if you don't have a clear mental model. So if you have a patient who's having some catastrophic thinking and then and experiencing severe pain and uh, other neurologic symptoms, uh, you know, then the, the clinicians who don't really understand where that pain is coming from, they may roll their eyes about the patient or they may start to develop some cynicism about that clinical scenario, which is 
exact, which is going to be exactly the opposite of therapeutic because what that patient needs is, you know, someone who hears them and someone that they can trust. And I, you know, I, I, I see that cynicism, unfortunately, you know, far too awesome or far too often. Yeah, we had a, I had a, um, a physician once say that I'm so tired of these chronic pain patients and you know, wanting opioids all the time. And they say the same story a hundred times. And, um, and I'm sitting over there going, oh my gosh, if you listen to it the first time and just validate that you heard their story, you won't need to hear it a hundred times. The rest of the 99 times won't come because the, the patient is yelling to be heard and and that listening is what lance you're talking about is that 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 space of of safety that my physician believes me that yes you might have fibromyalgia you might have chronic fatigue syndrome you might have those diagnoses you know crps where the physician's like oh my gosh i don't know what to do with them guaranteed we all have we have some fears like oh my god this is going to be a challenging patient uh, or there's going to be some challenge in in this scenario i wouldn't like i don't like to use the term challenging patient but um so that is there but at the same time if you believe this human sitting in front of you that I think that is the most we can do and I remember back from before I knew pain science some of my pelvic floor patients the best thing I could give them was to believe them that I I really don't know how to treat this I really did not but now I have so many more I have such a better understanding on pelvic floor but at that time it was like I don't really know how to treat you I mean you're a young 18 year old kid but and with pelvic pain I, I don't know what to do with this so anyway sorry I had my brain went all over the place. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that's a good place to quit for uh, this particular episode. And, this, and just to kind of recap for those out you're listening is what we're talking is, is in, again, this embodied practice. Like when you learn pain science, it isn't just like you're poking with them. It is an intervention that you save at the end for the chronic pain. It's, it's as a clinician, when you understand how this stuff fits together, it, you can use it across the whole spectrum. And I think we've had some great examples here today. You know, Lance, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to have you back for sure because you are a fantastic clinician. Sharna, great to have you on. And then for everybody else out there, stay safe, stay well. And until next time, uh, this is Straight Shot Health Talk. Thanks. <laughs>